So we have been in the life of David. Is Angela back yet? There she is. Um, real quick before I get started. Um, often as we pray and we pray for our family, it is really easy for me to remember um, struggles that we've walked through. You know, we had a funeral this week. I know last week Emily was sick and you guys were at the hospital rich. And um, it's easy for me to remember and for us to pray for those things. And sadly, and this is a confession, I'm not always good at remembering to come back to God like we're called to do in the scriptures and making sure that we celebrate the incredible things that happen. It's easy once we get past them to go, oh, well, yeah, I guess that kind of worked itself out too. But no, we believe that God answers prayers. Um, And a moment ago, I didn't even think to mention Angela, although I saw this week, as she had posted on Facebook, um, of being a year cancer-free. And if you remember a year ago, we began to, two years ago, no, last year, uh, we began to pray through this and to grieve through some of what was happening as she got bad news uh, and surgeries took place. But we give God thanks and credit uh, for the healing that has happened and continues to happen. Uh, And we can't forget that. So I want to make sure I mentioned it. Angela, no, we love you, and we're praying for you, and um, God is good. Um, we don't always get to see it that easily, um, but great things like that happen, uh, and we want to remember when they do so that we don't only see the difficult things. Um, so real quick before I start, I actually do. I want to pray for Angela and her family. Uh, will you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, we thank you for healing. We thank you for healing Angela Oh, and for healing so many others that right now my mind is being flooded with these constant testimonies of the healing you've done. I think about Bunny and I think about Amy and I could go on and on and on. And Jesus, we give you thanks for hearing our prayers and for working miracles still. We pray for those who have found healing and are continuing to walk towards healing. And we ask that you continue to work in mighty ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And even now I keep thinking, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, Now we pray with you and we stand with you. Um, And again, I confess that some of us perhaps need to. We sometimes forget to come back and give God thanks for the great ways that God has worked. Um, We remember to cry out in desperation, but we forget to say, oh yes, Jesus, thank you for working in this incredible way. so we're in the, the life of David, and we've been in David's story for a while, uh, three months or so. And if you have been with us, if you've journeyed with us, then you have seen lots of ups and downs as we've told this story. If you haven't, then you haven't seen some of that. But let me just tell you my own struggle as I get to this point in David's story. I'm not sure what to do with him now. Because I've gotten a little frustrated with him. Disappointed in his story, in his life, in his poor choices, in his bad decisions, in his repeated failures. And in some ways it becomes hard for me to look at David and to grasp what is it that we're supposed to see in this guy? And yet we know that the scriptures gave this this special description, this special declaration of, of this man and no one else. And we see it in 1 Samuel chapter 13. We also see it in Acts chapter 13. This special description that David was after God's own heart. Here's what it says in Acts. In Acts chapter 13, long after David lived, it still says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. 
He will do everything I want him to do. Now, the Acts passage is really hard for me. The first Samuel passage that happens before we see David's story, that one I can kind of deal with. But the Acts one that's after David's story gets difficult to look at it and go, there is no way that everything that David did in his life is what God wanted him to do. There's no way that that was true. There's no way that God was okay with David's desire to completely destroy Nabal and all of those who would have been around him as he marched towards that. And we looked at that story several, several weeks ago. I can't believe that God was satisfied with the assault of Bathsheba that we read about. With having her husband killed as he did. With the terrible ways in which he raised his own children. There's no way that God was satisfied with these kinds of moves in the life of David. And I feel like as we wrestle with some of these stories that sometimes we approach the life of David. And we do so by looking at overly sanitized versions of his story. Stories that we clean up, that we make look better, that we make easier to handle. It's as if we're afraid to mess with this guy who's called a man after God's own heart. That we're afraid to look at any of the difficulties so we make his stories more palatable. We make them easier to handle. We make them less difficult. Even in this series, as we've looked towards David's life, I'll be honest with you, some of the ways in which we looked at the stories weren't actually my plan when we started. But as I spent time in the text, I felt like this was the way we were being driven and what the passages were about. So we landed where we did, but that was not always the plan as we laid out a plan for what we were going to do. The hope was, the intention was that we would look at David's life and we would see in him this example, this model of how we become women and men after God's own heart. And yet as we looked at David's story, we find that sometimes we can look to him for as an example and other times we actually have to look at the exact opposite of what David did to figure out what it means to be faithful. And sometimes we overlook David in the story altogether because we find the greatest examples of faithfulness in some of the other characters in the story. In Abigail, or Nathan, or Jonathan, or Uriah. If we look at these unsanitized stories, if we look at these stories in all of their difficulty, in all of their struggle, we find this man who is deeply flawed. We find a king who's often uncertain what he should do in ruling his people. We find a father who seemingly had absolutely no clue how to parent. We find a leader who often led those who followed him into disaster and difficulty and destruction. We find a sinful man who I suspect broke the heart of God many times in his journey. We find a floundering faith with all of these ups and downs that is sometimes beautifully bold and other times amazingly cowardice. And if you're anything like me, as we look at the difficulty of these unsanitized stories, of these stories that aren't cleaned up, of these stories that that aren't easy, sometimes we can be tempted to turn our back entirely on David. 
to just throw him out and say, I don't want anything to do with this bum. His story is a mess. This is not who I want to follow. This is not the example that we're supposed to follow. We wonder if perhaps God made some kind of mistake in that declaration of who David would be. We see that God, that David failed God's expectations over and over again. And we even begin to wonder, or at least I do, if maybe as God spoke about this guy as having his own heart, if we're really only supposed to notice the highlights and overlook all of the other pieces. That's the temptation that comes in me, with me if we look at the difficult stories. I feel like we can go that direction, or sometimes what we do is we swing to the exact opposite side. And we decide to read these stories and clean them all up. We decide to make them easier to handle or only use David's stories that help us prove our point, that help us say what we want to say about David. So we start with the understanding of this must be what God wants and David is what God wants. So I'll tell the stories in a way that always make it look like David does what God wants. David is the good guy in the story. So I'm going to tell the stories that portray David as the hero of faith. And we sometimes take these stories and we, we try and synthesize our understanding of what God wants with the ways in which we tell the story so that those two things line up so that we feel better about who David is and about our frustrations and about our struggles. And sometimes if we do that, we end up with stories told from totally different vantage points and in, with, with totally different skews in which I think the stories were intended to be told. Easy example is to read these stories and decide that Bathsheba was actually the culprit in that entire situation. I mean, how dare she be hanging out on her roof naked in the middle of the day? Like, why did she think that was a good idea? And how should she tempt David in such a way? And this really wasn't David's fault. It wasn't possible for him to withstand what was happening. But none of that's in the story. That's the attempt that we make when we need David to feel comfortably like the good guy to us. We look at his kids and we say, the problem with his kids really wasn't bad parenting. I mean, David was a great dad. Come on, he's a man after God's own heart. He was the best possible dad that could exist. His kids just happened to run crazy. It wasn't David's fault. It was their fault. Or even worse, we could say it was their mom's fault because we don't even know who their moms were. Like just a way to blame it on anybody but David so that David gets to have the glowing picture that we think he's supposed to have. And I want to challenge that both of those extremes are the wrong ways for us to look at David's story. To move to the side that we want nothing to do with him anymore or to move to the side that we clean up his story so much that we don't actually look at the real David I think both of those are different from what we're supposed to do. I think we're actually supposed to land somewhere in the middle. And if we land somewhere in the middle with David's stories, we see that there are days that David lived faith in incredible ways. Exactly as we would hope. Exactly as we would dream for him and for ourselves what we would expect to happen in this hero, in this man after God's own heart. But that there are also days that he does a terrible job living that way. That his faith isn't at all what we would hope it would be, and I don't think is what God hoped it would be. If we're willing to read somewhere in the middle, yes, we find a deeply flawed hero of our faith. 
but a hero nonetheless. It reminds me of a quote that we looked at really early in this series. It may have been the very first sermon that we did back in September. It was from a, a guy named Kurt Thompson in a book that he's written called Anatomy of the Soul. It says this. It says, Scripture, it should be on the screen. Scripture recounts how God got involved in the lives of a particular people. A people who were not necessarily great partners. For the purpose of collaboratively saving the world from itself. And establishing God's kingdom of justice, mercy, and goodness. It continues, but this is no fairy tale. Naturally, given that the story involves real people, it's messy. Also, since it involves God, you get the sense that the story is not so much about how to simply clean up the mess, but how creative you can get with the mess you have. This is what God seems to be up to. Creating good, mysterious things out of messes. David was a mess. There's no way to get around that. David was a mess. And even as I say that, my mind goes to Brene Brown. We quoted her the last two weeks. She would say, David wasn't a mess. David's decisions were a mess. Either way, David made a mess out of what God wanted him to do. David was a mess. But I think it's important for us to understand that this is a secondary truth of David's life. This is a secondary truth of who David was and who we're supposed to see in David's story. The primary truth of the story and the primary truth of David's story is far more important for us than simply seeing David as a mess. What makes David special? What makes David unique was never about David himself. What made David unique is mentioned here in this psalm or this poem that we read in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Verse 20, the very end of it says this, it's on the screen, it says, He rescued me because he delights in me. These were David's words, he rescued me because he delights in me. This is the primary truth of David's life that I think makes this entire story worth us reading. God delighted in David. From the very beginning, from the moment when he created David, God delighted in David. When God found him wandering in the fields, dad and his brothers had forgotten to invite him at this meeting that was happening with Samuel. God delighted in David. When David faithfully served King Saul, waiting on his turn to become king as he was told he would be, God delighted in David. When David conquered the giant that everyone else was absolutely terrified of, so much so that they ran away, God delighted in David. When he became friends with Jonathan, when he made these vows to Jonathan about how he would live life and how he would protect his family and always stay faithful to his family. Later, as we watch, and he rescues and and, and saves Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, God delighted in David. As he listened to the wisdom of Abigail, as he confessed from the sin that he was pursuing, that he was chasing after, as he was going to slaughter Nabal and everyone with him, but he turned away because Abigail spoke wise words of conviction over him. God delighted in David. And I think even in the assault of Bathsheba, the killing of her husband, 
in a terrible way in which he parented his kids. God delighted in David. Now, he didn't delight in David's behaviors. He wasn't satisfied with what David was doing. David failed in those situations, but God delighted in David. God loved his child. You see, David was a man after God's own heart, not because he lived some kind of life without flaw. Not because of flawless living, but he was a man after God's own heart because God delighted in David. This passage that we read, 2 Samuel chapter 22, it's it's hard to nail down the origins of what's going on in this story. It's hard to understand exactly where it came from. Did David write it or did he not? Is it only that he sung this psalm or maybe he didn't even sing it, but he only spoke it like a poem? We don't actually know how that happened or what happened with it. We don't know the exact time frame of where it came into the story because there's this weird mention in the introduction of it that he sang this song as he was rescued from his enemies and as he was rescued from Saul. Well, at this point, Saul had been gone for years. Saul had passed away long ago. So we read it and it's confusing. We're not sure exactly where it comes from. And yet the imagery that's in this story, although so much is unknown, the imagery that's in it and the way in which it describes God... It's beautiful. I'm killing all these babies. I mean, Lydia's losing it up front. Liam's having to be walked around in the back. The ones of you that are no longer babies, I see you wrestling also. There's a lot that we don't know about this story. But what we can find for sure, if we're willing to look at it, if we're willing to look at this, at this psalm, at this poem, at this hymn, is that we get to see a lot about David's heart. We get to see this heart that the scriptures have told us about. Because what it tells us is that David believed that God had rescued him repeatedly. David believed that it was God that had protected him from his enemies. David believed that it was God who had saved him from his sins. As he speaks about God and he describes God, he talks about a rock. He talks about a fortress. He talks about God as his savior, as his refuge, as his protection. And he proclaims with this incredible imagery that when he cries out to God, that God rushes in like this mighty storm. That there's thunder and lightning and wind and rains. That everything goes crazy and that God's presence can't be ignored. That God is seen everywhere all around what's, ta- what's happening and what's taking place. God cannot be overlooked because God moves in in mighty ways when David cries out to him. God had come to the rescue. God had protected David. God had swept in and restored David to safety. This was David's proclamation. This was his song. This was his poem. These were the things that he believed deep down in his soul. And yes, there's this bit of me that's cynical and wonders why in the world would God rescue David, this miserable soul who mistreated so many people along the way. And it's because of what the very last bit of the psalm we read says, God delighted in David. God was creating good mysterious things out of messes. That's the way Kurt Thompson said it. 
And because David recognized God's delight in him, after repeated and significant failures, he cried out to God. Why? Because he believed God delighted in him. My own personal belief on the timing of this psalm, 1 Samuel chapter 22, my own personal belief, it gets basically repeated in Psalms chapter 18, almost verbatim. And my own personal belief is that this was kind of David's life song. That it didn't just appear once, but this is the one time we see it in his story. But that this was the song that he sang over and over and over again as God proved himself, as God came in and rescued him. As we read David's story, I don't think David is supposed to become our whipping boy, although sometimes that's what we want him to be. Sometimes we feel like he needs to suffer these intense consequences, and the truth is he did suffer some significant consequences. But I don't think that we're supposed to just beat him up. I think actually as we read this story, we're supposed to recognize that the story isn't even primarily about David. That's important that we see his strengths and his failures. Because I think in seeing some of those, we do gain some insights for our own faith journey. I think we can see, in, as we look at David's life and we look at our own lives, we can see ways in which we have chosen faithfulness and walked with God. But we can also see ways in which we have done damage to God's creation. Ways in which we've chosen to run from God towards sin instead of what we were called to do. I think we can find ways in which we've been a part of helping God rebuild the kingdom and ways in which we've brought devastation and damage and destroy to the kingdom. And I think in looking at David's story, there is a piece that can inspire us to live more committed and more faithful. But more than anything, and I want you to hear this this morning as we've journeyed through David's story. More than anything, we read the story of David because the story of David helps us recognize who God is. God chose David. God loved David. God protected David. God saved David. God used David to do incredible things. God delighted in David. And from the book of Genesis in the very beginning of our Bible through the book of Revelations in the very end of our Bible and far beyond as God continues to work in our lives and in our world, this is the work that God is about. God delights in his children, so God is continuing to do incredible things work. God sees my highlights and my utter failures. And the scriptures remind me that God loves me through both. God sees when I partner well and God sees when I bring damage to God's creation. And the scriptures remind me that God loves me through both. God protects me from my enemies and from myself and from my sins. And even when I fall, whether it's to an enemy or to selfish desires or to sin or to the consequences of life, the scriptures remind us and experience shows us that God rushes in like a mighty storm. 
as the song says, he reaches down from heaven to the depths of the sea. David obviously wasn't in the depths of the sea, but the image says he reaches as far as possible beyond what is imaginable. And he rescues David up from the bottom of the sea and he brings him back to safety. That's what God does for me and for you over and over and over again. He reaches to the depths of the sea and he pulls me up and he brings me to rescue and to safety once again. Friends, David is not our whipping boy in this story because David is me. David is you. David is us. And we don't need a beating. Although sometimes we need to be redirected and we suffer consequences for poor decisions. But what we need is what God gives us over and over and over again. Grace and mercy and love and Jesus. On our best days and on our worst, God delights in us. Friends, God is creating good, mysterious things out of messes. And I am a mess. And you are a mess. We are a mess. But the creator of the universe, the savior of the world... The baby born in a manger, the teacher who lived without sin, the Messiah who died on a cross, the king who rose from the grave, absolutely loves messes. And he is working good, mysterious things out of us. Friends, if we will let the Savior have his way, then the Holy Spirit will come in like a rushing storm. The Holy Spirit will rescue and restore us. The Holy Spirit will save us and make of us a brand new creation. This is David's journey. This is David's story. This is God's work, not just in David's life, but in the life of every hero that we read about in our scriptures. And of every hero that we have in our faith journey from then till now and beyond. And the promise of the Bible, the promise of Jesus, the promise of the gospel is that this can be your story too. This can be my story too. I want to read to you this passage again. I was supposed to have it pulled up, but I didn't get that done, so you have to bear with me for just a moment. I want to read to you again from 2 Samuel. And this time, as I read the passage, I'm going to read it from a different translation. One that is perhaps less familiar, but has a beautiful way of clarifying things to us. I want to read from the message. And it is my hope that as I read that you can hear this not just as David's prayer to God, not just as David's cry to God, but as your cry to God also. So will you listen as we read again from 1 Samuel chapter 22? It says, David prayed to God the words of this song after God saved him from all his enemies and from Saul. God is bedrock under my feet. The castle in which I live, my rescuing knight. My God, the 
high crag where I run for dear life, hiding behind the boulders, safe in the granite hideout, my mountaintop refuge. He saves me from ruthless men. I sing to God the praise lofty, and I find myself safe and saved. The waves of death crashed over me. Devil waters rushed over me. Hell's rope cinched me tight. Death traps barred every exit. A hostile world. I called to God. To my God I cried out. From his palace he heard me call. My cry brought me right into his presence. A private audience. Earth wobbled and lurched. The very heavens shook like leaves, quaked like aspen leaves because of his rage. His nostrils flared, billowing smoke. His mouth spit fire. Tongues of fire darted in and out. He lowered the sky. He stepped down under his feet. An abyss opened up. He rode a winged creature, swift on wind wings. He wrapped himself in a trench coat of black rain cloud darkness. But his cloud brightness burst through. A grand comet to fireworks. Then God thundered out of heaven. The high God gave a great shout. God shot his arrows. Pandemonium. He hurled his lightnings around. The secret sources of ocean were exposed. The hidden depths of earth lay uncovered. The moment God roared in protest. Let loose his hurricane anger. But me, he caught. Reached all the way from sky to sea. He pulled me out of that ocean of hate, that enemy chaos, the void in which I was drowning. They hit me when I was down. But God stuck by me. He stood me up on a wide open field. I stood there saved. Surprised to be loved. Pray with me, would you? God, sometimes it is difficult for me to understand why. But you tell me over and over again in the scriptures that you love me. You say to us over and over again that you love us. God, help us find that deep love that you have for each of us. And God, we pray that your love would be so bold, so extravagant, so overflowing that it would transform us from the inside out. We pray that your love would creep into our soul. And that it would take over the darkness that exists inside of each of us. The sin and the idolatry, the selfishness. And that as you transform our soul, that it would transform our life. And that we would become a people 
who not only receive incredible love, but give incredible love. Jesus, may we, res- may we recognize we have been saved. Surprised to be loved. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.